0: You are Locked on Vols, your daily Tennessee Volunteers podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: Welcome into Locked on Vols, your team every day. My name is Josh Ward. Thank you for being here today. Hope everybody is getting ready for a big weekend. Hope everybody's had a great week here. It's uh, been a good one on Locked on Vols. My lung hasn't collapsed this week, so that's good. Knock on wood, I should add uh, when I say that. But uh, getting ready for a big weekend with the Super Bowl on Sunday. On today's show, we're going to get you ready for Tennessee basketball on Saturday. Balls really need to get this one on the road. It's not necessarily must win, but the game that the Vols lost on Tuesday put Tennessee in a bit of a bind. So going to Mississippi State on Saturday will be tough. I'm going to talk to Grant Ramey about that coming up in segment number two. Before that, in the first segment here in just a moment, I'm going to look at some veterans on the offensive side who have a chance to maybe make a leap heading into their final year or two uh, coming up here in 2020. Last week I did that on the defensive side, looked at some defenders who might have a chance to make a Nigel Warrior-type leap who might be able to do that on the offensive side. I'll do that in segment number one. And then in the final segment, some SEC notes for you. Rick Barnes talking about Greg Sankey and uh, dealing with officiating issues, as Tennessee did on Tuesday night, the trust process that he goes through with the commissioner and the leadership within the SEC. You'll hear Rick Barnes talk about that, and then the SEC keeps getting richer. All of that right here on Locked On Vols. It's part of the Locked On Podcast Network. You can find it anywhere. You listen to podcasts, Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, the third-party apps. Thanks to everybody who has left a rating and review for the show. That's a big help. If you haven't but have time to, that would be greatly appreciated for the show. So looking here in segment number one at veterans who have a chance to make a leap on the offensive side. I'm going to start at running back and partly starting there because of the guy I'm going to mention. I think he has big time talent and has a chance to do so, but also Tennessee did make official on Thursday, the hiring of Jay Graham. He's back at Tennessee after having played and coached at Tennessee before Jay Graham will be Tennessee's running backs coach. And Jeremy Pruitt praised his coaching ability, called him one of the best assistant coaches in the country and pointed to his track record for developing running backs Says it speaks for itself. And I do think that's true when you look at Jay Graham's history coaching, Marcus Lattimore, Travion Williams at Texas A&M. Before that, Devontae Freeman and Dalvin Cook at Florida State. And those guys had big-time talent, but so does Ty Chandler. So the first veteran I'm going to mention here is Ty Chandler, who's going to enter his senior year. And he's shown playmaking ability. He's, he's been a guy that's been involved as a runner and a receiver. He has breakaway speed. He has flashed that both as a running back and as a kick returner. So a Jay Graham coming in and Ty Chandler being a guy that's almost forgotten a little bit in the running back conversation because of the late season excitement with Eric Gray and the buzz surrounding Zach Evans recruitment. He has not made a decision yet, but if he were to choose Tennessee, and I've said he could be a starter and, and that's true, but we should not forget Ty Chandler or Tim Jordan, frankly. And I say this conversation, assuming those guys are back when I mention both names, but Ty Chandler's a guy that was a high school All-American. He has made plays for Tennessee in the offense. He will have another year in this offense with Jim Chaney, and now he has Jay Graham coming in to coach running back. So the first guy that I would say pay attention to would be Ty Chandler because of his talent and the opportunity that should still be there for him. The next guy I'm going to mention is tight end Austin Pope. And that's partly because of the importance of his position. Dom Wood Anderson is gone. Pope probably didn't get enough credit for how helpful he was in the run game. His blocking and and how important it was for what Tennessee wanted to do. David Ubbin had the piece from the Athletic, uh, I think the Chattanooga weekend, and it was follow 81. Where 81 goes is where Tennessee is probably going to run. And with Wood Anderson being gone and some questions about that position, let's see what younger guys are able to do. You have Jacob Warren, who will be in his third year, Sean Brown, Jackson Lowe. Let's see what they're able to do at that position. And there's the D Beckwith recruitment. How does he factor in? What we know is that Austin Pope, heading into his senior year, is going to be really important for Tennessee. I'm not sure that Pope is going to have statistics that will stand out to show how important he will be within the offense. But if you look at team statistics, that might tell you something. And uh, I think Pope had to play banged up a lot this past season as well and fought through that to help Tennessee in the running game. Pay attention to him heading into this next year. Another veteran I want to mention on the offensive side would be K-Ron Calbert. There is so much hype around the offensive line, and there is an assumption or an expectation that Wanya Morris and Darnell Wright are both starters. And they both definitely could be starters this upcoming year. But remember, part of this past season, Calbert was on the field with Darnell Wright on the sideline. And Wright was not 100%. But this was the first season where Karon Calvert was truly healthy and developed. And I, I think Tennessee's coaches really like him. So as he gets ready for his fourth season on campus, now that he has a good amount of playing experience and he's played at guard, he's played at tackle, let's see if Karon Calvert can win a starting job this this upcoming season. Don't assume that he won't. And right now we don't know the status of Cade Mays either. So uh there could potentially be another position open. I do think Cade's going to be eligible, and if he is, he's a starter. But let's see what happens with k Calbert, who will have a chance to battle for a starting position as well. Then I would go to wide receiver, and I'm going to cheat a little bit here. Let's see what Vellis Jones does, the transfer from USC. It's his first year in Knoxville, but not his first year being coached by T. Martin. He was at USC when Martin was there. So Jones is a guy to pay attention to, and then Brandon Johnson is, entering his fifth season after deciding to take a red shirt he played at the beginning of this past season and then set out the rest of the way to maintain his eligibility with the rule that allows you to play in up to four games and still come back for another year. One of those guys at least has to really help this offense. You have Josh Palmer, who I don't mention here because he's an obvious name. He's going to play uh, at a very high level for Tennessee. He'll just have to. And then uh, you have some other guys like Ramel Keaton, who's a rising sophomore, some freshmen who will have a chance to play. Cedric Tillman, DeAngelo Gibbs, let's see how he factors in. A lot of names to mention, but not that many seniors. So Brandon Johnson and Velas Jones, I'll cheat there a little bit to mention both of those guys because they both, in the end, should be important for the offense. They both have talent. Jones has elite speed that could help them in the return game as well. And the fifth name that I'll mention that I don't have to spend a lot of time on is Jarrett Garantano. He's a rising senior He's a guy that came in as a highly touted recruit like Nigel Warrior. Garantano is a guy that's shown flashes of his ability and has helped Tennessee win games. He did that in 2018 against Auburn. He did that this past season in a few games in the second half of the season, but has also left fans frustrated. And at that position, that's something that can't continue. If if inconsistency continues, well, Tennessee's results will probably be inconsistent as well. We'll have all off offseason to talk about Jarrett Garantano, but in a segment where I'm talking about veteran offensive players who need to make a leap, there couldn't be a more obvious name than Jarrett Garantano. And, by the way, if all of those guys improve that I mentioned here in this segment, Tennessee's offense will have a chance to succeed. Replacing Juwan Jennings and Marquess Calloway and Donwood Anderson is not going to be easy, but there are a lot of players who have the ability to help Tennessee's offense play at an even higher level. That starts at quarterback, but it goes beyond that position as well. Coming up next on Locked On Vols, I will talk to Grant Ramey of Go Vols 247. He'll join the show to help you get ready for the Tennessee-Mississippi State game. And we'll talk about what Tennessee needs to do to try to bounce back from that loss against Texas A&M on Tuesday. Grant Ramey next here on Locked On Vols.
2: March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast every Monday and
1: I want to welcome to the show Grant Ramey from dot 247com Read his work there. He's covering Tennessee's basketball team. Will be this weekend in Starkville. And you can follow him on Twitter, at Grant Ramey. Grant, I appreciate the time. As always, this past Tuesday at home against Texas A&M did not go well for the Vols.
2: No, it did not. That was a, uh, you don't want to say a bottoming out, but that was obviously their worst loss uh, of the season. I think Texas A&M came in that game. Ranked 169 or something in Ken Palm. I think their previous worst loss was uh, maybe at Georgia. Georgia's ranked somewhere in the 80s at the time. And, and when you look at that game and kind of the, how they got out rebounded and pushed around a little bit, and you look at kind of what schedules coming up in terms of uh, it's a really loaded back half of the schedule. Uh, it makes you wonder uh, kind of where they go from here and how they respond because uh, what they did Tuesday night was bad, and uh, it could get worse if they don't try to correct it.
1: And in college basketball, we've seen teams deal with ups and downs. We've seen Tennessee have ups and downs where it can play well against Kansas, but then also have losses to Georgia, which only has one SEC win. That's Tennessee and then uh, the a and game. But the, the, the problem is for Tennessee, with the schedule, what it's about to be, those ups and downs are more likely to continue, right? So trying to get that corrected immediately, th- that's, a, that's a really tall order for a team that is still so young in a lineup that's still trying to kind of come together.
2: Right. I mean, you just you think about that 40 minutes at Kansas, you left that game feeling like that was some of the best basketball they'd played all season. Uh, going in that venue uh, against a team ranked as high as Kansas is ranked. I believe they're number one in Ken Bomber, they were when Tennessee went over there and, and playing the way they did and, and really making it a game that came down to the last three minutes or so. Uh, that was incredibly impressive. And then you come back and you're at home and you're up eight in the first half and uh, have a few turnovers and give away that lead. You build the lead back to seven in the second half. Uh, but it just felt like the more Texas A&M hung around and the more those rebounding numbers piled up, uh, the worse it got for Tennessee, the less chance you thought they were going to be able to win that game. And that was just a game, it's hard to call it a must-win in January, but you can't lose those games. You have to have those. Because if you lose a game like that and you're you're thinking about an NCAA tournament resume, now you got to make up that, for that loss uh, with two big wins Uh, maybe road wins, whatever, coming up against a highly ranked team or highly rated team, Uh, and that's going to be really difficult because what you've seen from this team, you have no idea what you're going to get night in and night out. You can play like they did against Kansas on a Saturday and then come home on Tuesday and play the way they did against Texas A&M.
1: So, Grant Ramey, govals 247com Tennessee gets ready for Mississippi State, which is coming off a nice win against Florida, Uh, and this is a team that has appeared just ahead of Tennessee in that NCAA tournament uh, run at least in, in terms of trying to get a bid. So, what is the turnaround? What do you think is important for Tennessee this week against uh, a solid Mississippi State team with a good team, a uh, good player, really good player in, in uh, Reggie Berry?
2: Yeah, they they might be one of the hottest teams uh, in the league. I think Rick Barnes said it a uh, uh, Thursday afternoon that they are the hottest team in the SEC. And, and if you get on their schedule, I mean, uh, after after Georgia beat Tennessee the way they did in Athens, they went to Mississippi State and got rolled by like thirty. Uh, and there's there's been some of those wins for. Uh, for Mississippi State coming down this stretch. And, yeah, Reggie Perry, I mean, he's a guy that averages a double-double. Uh, and the thing about Tuesday night is uh, Texas a and ms basically a middle-of-the-road rebounding team in the SEC, uh, and Mississippi State's statistically one of the best rebounding teams in the SEC. I think they're second in total rebounds. I think they're second in offensive rebounds. Uh, so Tennessee couldn't handle Texas A&M Tuesday night, it makes you wonder how they're going to handle Mississippi State on the road uh, on Saturday afternoon with a guy like Reggie Perry who can do as much damage as he can do but uh, like we've seen with this team in the past you, you don't really know what you're going to get so they could show up and play well uh, or they could show up and, and get rolled and get you know get run out of the building like they have in the past so you just never know uh, from day to day what this team's going to do
1: so grant this week we just moving forward how much is rick barnes looking for more from olivier Comwa off the bench uros plavsic off the bench young guys guys that don't have a lot of experience but uh players that rick barnes is still talking about
2: yeah, that's that's kind of the funny thing. They, the, the rebounding numbers were what they were the other night, and the seven-footer, uh, Euros Plapsic, only played four minutes, I believe. Uh, and Olivia Campbell only played nine minutes. And you go back to Kansas, it was the same thing. They might have combined for 11 or 13 minutes out there. Uh, and that's a seven-footer, and that's a 6'9 kid who's got a little bit of a knack for rebounding. He's, he's shown some progress there. Uh, but at this point, you just kind of have to roll these kids out there and just hope you can get something out of them. I mean, you're... It it doesn't make much sense to have a six, seven-man rotation if that rotation is not working. And, and what Rick said the other night, he wanted to keep his players on the floor that gave him a better chance offensively. Uh, this team obviously struggles to score. I think they've been held to 60 or fewer points, uh, I think, nine times this season, which is uh, pretty astounding. But at some point, if you're getting out-rebounded the way you are, you got to figure out some kind of solution to, to maybe give your offense some second-chance opportunities, which they, they haven't had lately. Uh, And and it's funny with Urosh, he got cleared on January 14th. The next day was the game at Georgia. I think he played 17 minutes, had five uh, points and three rebounds. He hasn't replicated those numbers since. He hasn't really been given that kind of uh, minutes load since then. So uh, they're going to have to figure something out because uh, the formula Tuesday night certainly didn't work.
1: Is there something, I don't know that we have a, an still enough sample size, but is there something to Jordan Bowden being maybe better on the road? He struggled shooting again the other night, one of seven from three at home. Tennessee's on the road this weekend is why I asked that.
2: Yeah, that was uh, that was something I was thinking about after the game the other night. It doesn't make much sense for him to be a better shooter on the road than it does at home with the amount of time you spend uh, on your own rims in your own home arena, uh, especially uh, a senior guy that's, that's played as many minutes as he has. Uh, at Tennessee over the last four years, but you look at it, uh, he went to Kansas Saturday and hit three out of four in the second half, and, and kind of really got off to a hot start. So I think he had 19 in the second half after being scoreless in the first half. Uh, but for whatever reason, when he gets home, and, and some of those were bad bounces, a couple of those he had rimmed out uh, that looked like they were down. Uh, but yeah, for whatever reason, he seems to be a guy that's better on the road. Maybe he can uh, uh, channel, cancel out some of the noise and just kind of focus in on what he needs to on the road when he's with his team and. Uh, away from the distractions at home or something like that. But uh, bottom line for him, he's got to keep attacking the rim. I think that's when he's best. Uh, if he can get some easy baskets uh, and then maybe extend to maybe those foul line jumpers that he's hit in the past and then maybe extend to the three point line. Uh, they want to play inside out, and I think it starts with a guy like Jordan Bowden trying to attack the rim and score from there.
1: And then, uh, final item it's a weekly check in, but Josiah Jordan James, not a great performance. Uh, against Kansas. So it looked like in some ways he was bouncing back, but not as much of an opportunity. Updated thoughts on where uh, just things are with Josiah.
2: Well, Rick said Thursday that he tweaked something uh, at Kansas and and played through it against Texas A&M, and it's the same issue that he had that cost him a lot of time in the preseason in October. I think it's been described as a groin issue. I think it's been described as a hip issue. Uh, It's something in that area I don't think it's very serious. I think it's just something that uh, you just kind of have to manage this time of year and try to play through. Uh, But, yeah, he certainly, the last two games, he's regressed quite a bit. I mean, what he did at Kansas was probably his his worst game of the season to date, and it came after, you know, he had strung together three or four games where it looked like things were slowing down. He was scoring pretty consistently. He was facilitating. He was cutting down the number of turnovers. It just looked like he was a lot more in control, uh, if you go back to the Missouri game uh, around that area. Uh, And for him to regress like that, yeah, it's worrisome uh, for this Tennessee basketball team because he's a guy, uh, that rebounds well, uh, that when he's scoring, he can score in double figures pretty consistently. And it's just somebody that you have to rely on because this team obviously uh, struggles in a lot of areas. And if you don't get something from a guy like Josiah, uh, it's going to cost you uh, night in and night out. So they need him to uh, to get back to where he was and get back on track a little bit.
1: Yeah, has to do it through the grind of a conference schedule as well. Next stop is in Starkville, taking on Mississippi State. It's a 2 o'clock Eastern tip-off Saturday. Reed Grant's work covering the game, covering the team, GoVols247.com is the website, and you can follow him on Twitter at Grant Ramey. Hey, Grant, thanks for the time. As always, safe travels, and we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Mike. Coming up next on Locked on Vols, Rick Barnes talks about Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, and Rick's trust in the league when there are ever issues, like we saw this past Tuesday with Tennessee and the officiating in the basketball game against Texas A&M. That's coming up next. Plus, it was a good financial year for the SEC. That's right here on Locked On Vols, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And I want to remind you, if you are a listener here to Locked On Vols and you own a local business and you're interested in reaching passionate Tennessee fans just like you, we can help you with that. If you'd like to advertise on Locked On Vols, here's a number that you can text. All you have to do is text the word ADVERTISING to 33777 or you can visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising. Let us know who you are. We'll get somebody in touch with you about the opportunity to advertise on Locked On Vols. Again, text the word ADVERTISING to 33777 or visit lockedonpodcasts.com slash advertising. Rick Barnes met with the media on Thursday and spent a lot of time talking about his Tennessee basketball team. He was also asked about the situation with the SEC office earlier this week when after the game on Tuesday against Texas A&M, Rick Barnes was asked about the Incident where Mike Nance, the official, bumped into Rick. He was not moving when that happened, and the official did bump into him. I think the video pretty clearly shows that. And Rick was not happy. I don't think he should have been. But afterward, he said he trusted the SEC office would look at that and would look at the game and tried to leave it there. Again, it was pretty obvious he was not happy. But to move that aside, he said, I'll have the SEC deal with it. And uh, Rick, I don't think, wanted to talk too much about it on Thursday, Why would he want to talk about it? But he was also asked to follow up after uh, it was first discussed at the beginning of the session. Later on, Mike Wilson of the New Sentinel asked if Rick felt like it was a, a fair process, if he was heard by the SEC. And Rick said that he absolutely felt that way and then commended the commissioner, Greg Sankey, and the leadership of the SEC for how it operates. So I wanted you to hear that. This is Rick Barnes talking about the SEC and I guess his ultimate boss within the SEC, Commissioner Greg Sankey.
0: Greg Sankey, Dan Liebervich, and Mark Whitehead. First of all, we, we got an unbelievable commissioner. I mean, he's got a lot on his plate with a lot of different things, and there's not a, there's not a more accessible commissioner in the country. I'm telling you, he's, he's there, he's on it, he's got a feel for what we go through, he's got a feel for what officials go through, and then, uh, you know, I think he made a great hire when he hired Dan Liebervich. He, he's been there for all the coaches, and, uh, and then Mark Whitehead is in a situation where him trying to Build a staff, move everything forward. It's it's a tough job. It's it's one of those jobs uh, that is a, a thankless job in some ways. But uh, there's no doubt that, that I know that uh, I know Mark Whitehead is working as hard as he can. I know he is. I, I mean, I know the guy for a long time. I know he is trying to do that. Dan is, like I said, has done a great job. And we can't ask as coaches any more than what the commissioner. He he came in when he came in as commissioner. The one thing he said he was going to do is give us every resource we needed to be competitive in this league, like our football, like our baseball teams, like our softball teams, our track and field, Olympic sports, because uh, we're in the same league. And you go back when I first got here, the league wasn't showing where it should be in basketball. But I can tell you from his point of view, everything he said he would do, he's done that. And uh, and when you when you do need to communicate with the SEC office, they're as, as good as better than anybody I've ever been around. And the fact is, what makes them so good is they give you a trust level. You know you know they're going, to, they're going to look at it. They're going to be objective. If you're right, they're going to let you know that. If you're wrong, they're going to let you know that. And that's all – consistency is all we want.
1: What Rick Barnes is saying there is probably what you're looking for if you're a fan. Trust. Trust that the league will be fair, that there's not going to be bias. I think it's pretty easy for fans to think in football there's a bias for Alabama. In basketball there's going to be a bias for Kentucky – and for the league, if Alabama's doing well, that is good. If Kentucky's doing well, that's good. But for the league, it's good if everybody is doing well. It's good if you have more teams that can make the tournament and more teams that can play for championships. And business is good for the SEC. I'm going to get to that in a moment. I can't say anything here that's going to make you feel like the, the SEC is going to be more objective, or as objective as you demand, because you're still probably going to watch games and get frustrated with officiating, and that's fine. And that's just really that's part of sports, whether we're talking about basketball or football, uh, any other sport. It, it may come up as often in in basketball in terms of the total calls in football. It's probably going to be about uh, the big calls that stand out. Uh, whatever the case is, Rick Barnes saying that there, I think, is worth noting. And I don't think Rick is saying that just to say it. I think he would probably avoid the subject if he didn't want to. That's my opinion. Uh, but uh, hearing him say that about Greg Sankey and the SEC, I would also say that the job that Greg Sankey has, while he's well-compensated for it, it's not necessarily easy. And this past week's situation with Tennessee is something that I think is serious for the league and needs to be handled correctly for the sake of credibility, another issue might be that I don't know how often handling a situation like that will actually be public. Last year when there was the Anthony Jordan story from the Tennessee LSU basketball game and a, a picture surfaced of jordan on facebook holding up an lsu shirt and uh, a lot of tennessee fans being upset about hey is this guy an lsu fan that's refing against us and makes a call late that goes against us fans were understandably not happy with it and i do believe that anthony jordan was told you're not officiating any more sec games this season that was last year he is actually doing sec games this year he has not done a tennessee game yet but jimmy himes had reported on the sports animal that The SEC had effectively suspended Jordan, and he did other conference games, but not SEC games a year ago. But the SEC didn't announce that. So publicly, it it almost feels like nothing happened, even though something did. I don't know if that's how it's going to work out with Mike Nance from the game between Tennessee and and Texas A&M on Tuesday, but I did want you to hear what Tennessee's basketball coach said about Sankey and the other members of leadership positions within the conference. And then one other conference note for you, the SEC announced... It's 2018-19 revenue distribution on Thursday, and as I mentioned, business is good for the SEC. The SEC announced that it distributed a total of $624.2 million from the conference office to the teams, as well as $26.8 million retained by institutions that participated in the 2018-19 football bowl games to offset travel and other related bowl expenses, so the average amount distributed from the conference office, excluding bowl money retained by participants, was slightly over $44.6 million per school. That was up from $43.1 million the previous year. So it's not a huge jump, although $1.5 million is not chump change. And this announcement comes before the new ESPN agreement with the SEC for broadcasting. So there's going to be more money coming from the SEC. It's just been a huge jump in the league, and I saw David Ubbin note this as well. Just think about the last 10 years in college football and think about the last 10 years in the SEC. In 2009, the SEC distributed $132.5 million to league members. In 2019, now 20, the SEC distributed $650.1 million, 132 to 650 That's an increase of almost $520 million being distributed to all its members in just a 10-year period. Business is booming in the SEC and across college football. Interesting notes there. Coming up this weekend, there will be the Tennessee-Texas A&M basketball game. Super Bowl is coming up on Sunday. And next week, there will be more recruiting talk as Wednesday is signing day. Georgia took a commitment from a running back on Thursday, which would back up the talk of the last few days that Georgia appears out of the Zach Evans sweepstakes. We'll see what happens with him this weekend. Where does he end up? Does he end up somewhere? Does he make an announcement next Wednesday? And if he does, is that truly the end of his recruitment? So the the main players to pay attention to over the next few days, running back Zach Evans, wide receiver Malachi Wideman out of Florida, and then athlete D. Beckwith from Alabama. Those are the three main targets for Tennessee. I'll talk more about those guys at the start of next week. I'll talk about what will have happened between Tennessee and Mississippi State on Saturday. And if there's any other news from Tennessee, from the SEC, I'll have you covered on that as well. Right here on Locked On Vols, thanks for being here. If you have time to rate and review the show, that is a big help. Here's my request for a five-star review as well. That's always appreciated. But uh, mainly I appreciate you being here and telling other Tennessee fans about Locked On Vols. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Have a great weekend. I'll see you back here on Monday.